0: So, I am afraid of dying. But what I've come to realize is what I'm more afraid of is not living, is not living, right? Like to, to your exactly what you said of I want to have that lantern effect in my life. And that's not just pushing my edges in physical ways you know, that I, you know, I guess I'm known for in the world with my 10 world records, it's easy to be myopic. Oh, well, that just means you want to just push the limits. No, I mean that. And like, I want to live fully. I want to be vulnerable. I want to have my heart full with, with family and love and compassion and trust. I want to try hard things. I want to fail at things, businesses, you know, whatever that is, but I want to have the full experience of living rather than being contained in my Four, five, six comfort zone uh, uh, of not doing that, and so yes, 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 yes to all um, of what you're saying with, with with trying things that that's scary, yeah. trying things that are a little bit outside the comfort zone or a lot of bit outside the comfort zone because there's just so much profound growth there.
1: Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. So let's just like jump in right there. A 12 hour walk, like walk walk us, pun intended, like walk us through why and how and like give it all to us.
0: Okay, so I walked across Antarctica by myself. (laughs) Maybe maybe that's a place to start. Yeah, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
1: you did. (laughs) Which I think um, for anybody who wants to hear that story, that conversation, we will link to that original episode that I did with you back in the day. It's so good. It's so inspiring. But yes, you did happen to walk across Antarctica by yourself. Keep going.
0: So- When I was walking across Antarctica by myself, and I think you and I are both fond of knowing this about ourselves and the different things we've been through, obviously, to have very different lives from each other, but have core values around mindset. And what I come to realize, I'm pulling a 375 pound sled across Antarctica by myself, but still people are like, how'd you do it? How'd you train? You know, how'd you pull that? They're asking, how'd you pull the sled? Like, how did your little muscles do that? I love to say, like, the most important muscle any of us has in our life is the six inches between our ears, right? Like, it is our mind. Like, without that, like, yeah, I could tell you what I ate. I could tell you how I, you know, got bigger muscles or whatever. But, like, if I didn't have that in my mind, right, there's no way 54 days alone, 1,000 miles, et cetera, would have happened across Antarctica. And my average day out there was 12 hours. That was my normal cadence. Literally that got me to the other side of Antarctica with my last bite of food, having lost 40 some pounds, et cetera, which I know we talked about a couple of years ago when we had that whole conversation, but what was so powerful and palpable for me was the stillness, was the silence, was the tapping into my own inner truth, my inner being. And as I got to the other side of Antarctica, I wasn't left with, I wasn't left with, wow, I did this amazing thing that no one in history has ever done. It wasn't like this chest. Yeah, yes, I had done this thing no one had done. I had all this press, all this media, all this excitement around this achievement. But what I was personally left with inside was this feeling of infinite love, was this feeling of deep fulfillment, was this, deep connection to my wife Jenna who you know my family my community like that that's what I felt I felt full like I felt full in my mind body and soul and it was crazy my body was my body had declined significantly I'd lost 40 some pounds I had frostbite on my face I was beat up but my mind was sharp and strong and the most positive high vibration that I could possibly feel and so I thought that I'd like hacked it. Like I was like I've got it. Like I've got this for the rest of my life. Like here I go. Sweet. Um and and I rode that high for a long time and that has certainly stuck with me, but I found myself during COVID. I think we all remember this moment, March of 2020, April of 2020, like we all remember that moment. Just life disrupted afraid, scared, doom scrolling the news, everything canceled, trapped him. I mean, I don't know where you were, but I was a a small cabin on the Oregon coast. My family has a house, just me, my wife, Jenna and my dog, like just kind of like what, what just happened? You know, worried about people's health, worried about family members who are older than me and more at risk. And Jenna looks over at me one day, and she's like, you know, I love her, but she's also hard on me. So I did a hard on me in a good way. I told tough love. She's like, you know, babe, you haven't changed out of your uh, pajamas in like three or four days. And you just sit there on your your couch, like doom scrolling the news, like look at these bad headlines and just all this. She's like, so do you want to like do something different tomorrow? (laughs) So, so that's where I ended up. I mean, and I'll be honest, like I said, I'd have this great breakthrough mentally. And again, I carry that mental fortitude with me throughout my life, obviously, but it also doesn't mean I'm not human, That I don't have these low moments, these dark places, these dark corners in my mind. And I was in a really, really bad place um, during, during that lockdown. And so Jenna kind of, you know, in a conversation with her, was like, when was the last time I felt really full, really fulfilled, really complete. And it turns out, I was like, you know, strangely enough, those last, that last week in Antarctica. And it was, it's such a weird contrast because it's minus 40 degrees outside. Antarctica is trying to kill you every second of every day. Like I personify Antarctica in, in in my mind kind of, but I still found this inner peace. So I said to Jenna, maybe this sounds ridiculous, but I'm going for a walk tomorrow, right out of front door. I'm going to go walk 12 hours, just like I did in Antarctica by myself. And, you know, she just laughs at me. She's like, sure, Colin, go have fun. I'll see you. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the front door. And about 20 minutes, I'm in the Oregon coast, small little town, no one's out, um, kind of middle of nowhere where we're kind of hiding out during COVID. Um, and I walk out my front tour and my phone buzzed in my pocket 20 minutes in. And I reached for my phone just instinctively. It's like my buddy texted me. I'm going to text him back, whatever, like we do. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing? Like. I've been staring at my phone, doom scrolling the news, endless social media scrolling. Just like, I'm like, maybe I just think maybe it's a break from my phone, like all of it. So I just kind of instinctively, I'm like, phone goes in airplane mode, goes in my pocket for the rest of the day. No music, no podcast, nothing, just me alone in my thoughts the whole day. I take breaks, I rest, I walk, but I'm outside mostly walking for 12 hours. And when I get back in my front door, I walk through the front door and Jenna goes, you're back. And I was like, yeah, I told you I was coming back in 12 hours. And she goes, no, no, no. You're <laughs> yeah, back.
1: She it.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she just like, you know, she knows we've been together for 15 years. She's the love of my life. But she just, just see it in my eyes not even saying anything. She's like, you're back. Yeah. And I was, it was just like, I mean, I usually get goosebumps. She was just saying that. I was like, you're right. You're, I like, I need, like, yes, yes, I am back. And it was just this reset. It was a reset for me. And so, how do I go from there to writing a, a book about this and want to share this? Which was, I thought, great, I'm the guy who walks across Antarctica. I walk for 12 hours a day. I'm, you know, that that's my thing, like whatever. But COVID's still going on, right? And I have all sorts of friends that I'm FaceTiming with, zooming with, colleagues, you know, friends, family members, et cetera. And like generally, and I think just in normal life, we always are always going through ups and downs, but like the world was going through a pretty significant down in this moment, right? So it's a lot of people calling me like, hey, I'm not feeling good. Hey, I'm struggling at work. Hey, I what is this Zoom thing that we're doing all the time? It's all the things, right? And I said, this might sound ridiculous, but I went for a 12-hour walk by myself in silence and it just fully reset like where I was at. And a lot of people took me up on it. Different walks of life, young, old. My 77 year old mother in law, she did her 12 hour walk for that looked like for her was her walking one time around her block in her neighborhood, then sitting on her front porch in silence for an hour, and then walking another time. She may have covered a mile. I had my ultra marathon friends go 50 miles. Like what I realized about it, it doesn't matter. It's not a race. It doesn't matter how far you go. I don't care if you go one mile or 50, take as many breaks as you want, rest but this day of silence and stillness and being outside off your phone. And so over the last couple of years, I've written this book. I'm so excited. It's coming out uh, August 2nd and it's two things and we'll get more into what some other things. It's edge of your seat storytelling. It's told through adventure. It's, 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 it's not a boring, you know, dense textbook. It is about the limiting beliefs that we all face. I think it's the 10 most common limiting beliefs I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I'm not strong enough. What if I fail? What if people criticize me? These are things that you and I are both, I know, deeply passionate about, sharing wisdom about. But at the same time, at its core is this single day call to action. And that's why the subtitle is Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. This 12-hour walk My goal is to inspire 10 million people to take this 12-hour walk. It's free. It is out your front door. We can talk more about the details and things like that because I love talking about it. But it's simple. It's accessible. But it's powerful. There is power in the simplicity. Um, I've seen it change people's lives. And I'm just excited to to share this this simple but yet beautiful wisdom um, with people all around the world.
1: Yeah. I think that there is, um, you and I both know this, and I think anyone listening who's who's done some kind of challenge for themselves, that you don't know if you can pull off, right? Like when you do so, you're like, no, I, I'm confident. I believe in myself. I won't give up. I won't quit. Maybe you've even trained. But something happens to us as human beings when we do something we did not know whether or not we were capable of. Uh, you and I were texting about this, oh gosh, earlier at the start of the year when you were telling me that you had a book coming out. And I was like, oh, this is the craziest thing because I was thinking about you because you were the one of the only people I know who would understand what a wild thing it was when I ran the marathon without training. Yes. And you were like, yes, because you <laughs> did that. Didn't you do that once too? I feel like you gave me the idea.
0: So. It- I have done a few things without training. I actually, I, I i talk about this in the book actually, which is I am a big believer and I know you are too, of we can just own things in our identity, right? Like, it's not like, I look at like, I don't know, Meryl Streep. She's got all these, you know, accolades and acting, whatever. Like, one day she was like, I'm gonna try her for my school play. Like, I'm an actress. Right. She wasn't Meryl right. Streep before that, or like Stephen King, you know, whatever. 64, you know, New York first number one New York Times best-selling novels in you know, every single year, whatever. It's like that dude sat down and write his wrote his first sentence, like one time, his yes. first paragraph, his first book, like whatever. And so I share the story, um, and I won't go too depth here, but I share the story of rowing a boat across Drake Passage, which is something that happened after uh, our last podcast. I went back to Antarctica, but I went in a rowboat this time, and I rowed a boat. (laughs) I was the first human uh, to row a boat across what's widely known as the most dangerous ocean crossing in the entire world. 40-foot swells, icebergs. This is from the southern tip of South America to Antarctica. So 750 of the most rough ocean in the world. No sail, no motor. Me and a tiny little robot with a few friends. Open hole. Like, we're just getting pounded by waves. This is crazy. There's actually a whole uh, feature-like documentary on Discovery uh, called The Impossible Row. If you want to see me get beat up by some waves, check that out. But uh, (laughs) uh, spoiler, I survived. But I tell that story. I tell that story in the book. And then I open the next chapter and I'm still on a rowboat. And you're like, okay, this guy's gonna write a book and it's all about rowing. I was you know, what that was going on here, right? And I'm trying to take a stroke on a rowboat and then I fall flat on my face off the rowboat. Oh my God, it capsized. And then I stand up in six inches of water because I am on the Willamette River in Portland, Oregon, learning how to row for the first time. And it's three months before I'm gonna go row a boat across the straight Passage. So right. people, so I I actually convinced the Discovery Channel a multi million dollar documentary whatever around this project. And I was like, oh hey guys, they're like we're leaving three months. A big camera crew is gonna film it, whatever. I'm like, by the way, I've never rowed a boat anywhere ever before in my life, <laughs> like ever ever. Like yeah, no ever. Not at summer camp. Not at like you know whatever ever. And again that's, that's a ridiculous, extreme story and extreme version, but so is for you running a marathon off the couch. So is anyone who's starting and like, I'm going to start a business. Well, I've never started before. It's like, but you got to own that identity at some point. You got to take that first stroke. You got to just put on your running shoes and get out the door. And it is so amazing what we can achieve as human beings. When we shift that to I'm it's, I'm not a this fill in the blank, yes. of, that leaves you. I'm not a, yes. fill, I'm yes. not a writer, I'm not a podcaster, I'm, exactly. I'm not people a exactly people are
1: like, oh, I, I want to be a writer, but I'm not a writer. Do you like, write words down? Yeah. You're a writer. You I want to be right. a runner, but like I'm not a real runner. Like, do you run? You're a runner. That's <laughs> exactly. so true. Yeah, because we will live into like our subconscious and everything in us will live into the identity we believe that we have. So if you believe that you're really not that, you're so right. You're not going to do it. You're not going to try. You're not going to push yourself. You're not going to
0: evolve. And and to me, I'd like to go all the way from zero to hundred and say, just own it. I am a runner. But if, if you need a half step, my suggestion is this, just add one word. I'm not a runner yet. Just throw that yes. yet on there. And it opens, yeah. it opens the possibility of that. So I mean your marathon it's saying love love that story that's so freaking cool um totally in line with my values but also this walk is that as well like it is intentionally built to be a little outside I mean maybe a lot outside your comfort zone there's a physical component to it although I'm saying walk one mile walk 50 miles take breaks rest etc so it's not like you're trying to achieve some distance you know marathon's different in that way but the stillness, the silence, I've asked thousands of people, you know, what's the longest you've gone in silence? And I quantify for that. People, I say, okay, sleeping, of course, doesn't count. Anytime you're in a room with somebody else, your kids, your family member, the clock resets. Every time you look at your phone, the clock resets. Every time you put on music, a podcast, the clock resets. And the average answer is like, yo, in my adult life, the longest since the event of smartphones is, I don't know, 30 minutes, like maybe. And that, that's me too. Like that's my normal life as well. Like, and the purpose of the 12-hour walk is not to vilify those things. It's not to say, oh, by the, at the end, of, actually, by the end of your 12-hour walk, you should become a hermit and live in the mountains by yourself alone. It's no, be a part of society, be on social media, do this. But a reset is great for our mind and body and spirit. A little tapping in, a little tuning in to that voice inside, both the positive and negative that. And what I have also realized in the, the moment of suggesting the 12-hour walk, this moment we're having we're having a conversation, but someone's listening on the other side of this. You're in your car, you're, go, you're out for a walk right now, maybe, or whatever you're doing, listen to this podcast. Um, you got your pods in, and you're hearing this for the first time. And you know, maybe there's one percent of you, or maybe hopefully more than one percent, like, I love this idea already. I'm going to the 12hourwalk.com. I'm signing up, like, I'm all in, I'm doing it tomorrow. Like, great. I love you. Well, welcome to the welcome to the family, welcome to the community. And maybe there's a percentage of you, hopefully not too many, they are like, this Colin O'Brady guy's the worst idea I've ever heard. Ever. I'm deleting this podcast, turn this off. Right? This is horrible. But I think most people, most people would say, are somewhere in the middle in this gray area. When I say the 12 hour walk experience, the benefit from this walk starts right now. This is what I mean by that. In this moment of suggestion, you're hearing this for the first time. You're a big fan of Rachel. I'm a big fan of Rachel. You listen to a pod and you're like, okay, it's interesting should I do this? What happens in your brain right now is you start bargaining with yourself. You go, actually, this is kind of interesting. But yo, I got I got kids and a job and this like I don't have enough time for this. And you kind of push it away. Or, I mean, I I just don't like being uncomfortable. And I got to be honest, even I took a lot of breaks, my feet are going to be like kind of sore by the end. Yeah, like this isn't for me. And what's interesting, and why I say it starts right now, is this suggestion of this walk, is me holding up a mirror to you right now in this moment. It's a mirror to your own internal dialogue, which is looping on some of these limiting beliefs, which is okay, Mm -hmm. I I have those as well. But here's the thing, those same limiting beliefs that you're likely applying to the 12 hour walk when I'm suggesting this to you, I'm willing to bet are some, if not all of the same limiting beliefs that are on constant loop throughout many different elements of your life. Right.
1: That's good.
0: (laughs) And so this, this is, this exercise is even just this conversation is like, Hey, I'm just giving you a look at yourself. We all have these different things, but here's the thing. You get a choice. The reason we call them limiting beliefs, we don't call them limiting truths or limiting facts. These are beliefs. Beliefs can be rewritten, reworded, reworked, retooled. You are the story that you tell yourself. Right. And so If this, whatever it is, is popping up in your mind as you're hearing this, but you say, you know what, I'm still putting this on my calendar. I'm doing this next Saturday. Or if you want mass, I'm inviting mass participation on September 10th. Lots of people are participating. Again, you're doing it alone, but the accountability of knowing others are out there doing it. Regardless of what day, you put it on your calendar and you do the walk there's lots of days in our life that you don't remember, you know, what did you do last Tuesday or a month ago or this? Like, you're going to remember this. This experience is going to yeah. be in print. It's unique and different. And what happens on the other side of it is this ripple effect that that same loop comes up again. Oh man, I don't have enough time to do X, Y, or Z. My friend invited me to do this or this experience or this opportunity. I don't have enough time. And you go, wait a second. I remember that voice. I remember that voice when Colin suggested me a 12 hour, but I figured out how to get the babysitter, optimize my time to do this important thing for my own self-care, for my own health, my own well-being. And so it's not as if the limiting belief goes away, but it gets quieter. And right. you sh- you shift to you prove to yourself that you can overcome it. So what is the ripple effect that in other ways? So to me, it's some of the magic, like I said, starts just right now in this conversation.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of, this is something that Jesse Itzler talks about a lot, which is your life resume. And you and I actually met at when we did the 29029 climbing the mountain a gajillion times and (laughs) uh, battling our, that was wild. It really is true. We remember the highest highs and the lowest lows. That's what sticks out to us in our memory. We don't remember a a random Tuesday in the middle of October in 1999, right? Like we remember the highest highs and the lowest lows. And I think unfortunately, most humans are programmed to focus on the lowest lows. We don't often think of those high highs. And there's incredible like joy and power and wisdom and all of these things that happen when you create a moment for yourself. I think most human beings are sitting around for life to make a moment magical or for life to surprise them or for something to show up or a holiday or a vacation that makes them feel like life could be something more. And when you actually take ownership of that and you create that moment for yourself, when you create the high high that you can go back to... Number one, it changes your whole perspective. And number two, you want it more. You're like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing that I'm doing? And you start to crave it when it's been too long since you've had a moment like that. You're like, oh, I could sign up for a race. I could do this thing. I could build this. I could. I can at least try to challenge myself because you know the rewards of challenging yourself far outweigh the fear and the discomfort of actually putting yourself in it.
0: Totally. And I mean, yes. Yeah. I, I, I smile so big. I, I think I, I sent you a voice though, you know, six months ago, you're talking about scarcity and abundance around money. And I was just, I sent you a voice. I was like, Rachel, you're like in my head, like this is all, even I have a chapter (laughs) in the book, particularly about money and scarcity. But I just, I love I love right. the way you think. I'm so I uh, just I am just uh, uh I'm just going to fanboy you for a second. I love the way you think. I love I love uh Great. I love what you're all about cuz I just it. I think about it the same way. To me, when I think about exactly what you said, I I've come to think about life a little bit the way my brain works on it is on a spectrum of 1 to 10. So I think of like one being our lowest moments, like just like the, the, the tough things in life, right? You know, like whatever that is, like loss, sadness, a bad breakup, um, mile 18 of your marathon when your feet hurt, you just want to give up, right? Like, you know, there's, there's some ones and tens of these high highs, you know, the day your first child is born, falling in love, you know, a big achievement for me, crossing Antarctica, touching that post. Like I did it. Like I crossed, I made, you know, whatever, you know, these tens. And we crave these 10s. We want these 10s. We want these high highs. Who wouldn't want that? I want them. This is my you my know, peak moments of life. But when I reflect on my 10s, what I've come to realize is I don't experience these 10s in spite of my 1s. I experienced them because of my ones, yes, every single yes. one of those tens is connected to some struggle, to some challenge, you know, you know, it's bring that into entrepreneurship. It's like, okay, you exit this company, you have this success, it gets going. It's like, yeah, but it was hard when I had this idea and I was grinding with the whiteboard in my living room or whatever. Or like, like I said about the marathon, you're like, you cross that fish. Like I can't believe Colin, I did a marathon without training. You look at that. And you're like, yeah, but I bet like there was some moments in there. Right. Like for sure. Ooh, yes. So what I've realized is that, unfortunately, in our modern, particularly in our modern society, where we can have some modern conveniences, we can Uber Eats from our phone sit in our living, you know, whatever, is that too often most people are living a life in what I call the zone of comfortable complacency, this, this, this zone between four and six, day in and day out. You know, you go to a job, you don't love it, you don't hate it, but it's just a five. It's just like five five, five, or apply that to relationships. Like hopefully many people are in amazing relationship. I'm so blessed to have an incredible marriage in, in my life, but that's taken work as well. But a lot of people are in this relationship where it's like, we're cohabitating, we're coexisting. It's not toxic. It's not like we're like abusive to one another, but it's just kind of like, eh, like five, 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 because why is that? Like, why do we sit there? And I think it's because we're so afraid of the ones, like you said, we're so focused on not having the ones, but guess what? When you don't have the ones, you also take the tens off the table. You take the high highs off the table. You're hedging to be in this center place. I mean, it's a silly analogy, but I think about like, you're sitting there like, yo, I want to remodel my kitchen. We just got done with this big, like gut remodel uh, in our house. And Jenna did incredible jobs. Like I want to remodel this. Well, the first thing you do is you don't end up and wave a magic wand. You end up with like the new appliances and the new floor and the new tile and all that stuff. I'll tell you what you do. You rip it all out. Your plumbing doesn't work. You don't have a fridge for a month or a stove. Like it sucks. It sucks. And again, it's a silly analogy, but just to say like, sometimes it has to get quite a bit or at least a little bit worse to get better, but you have to realize- yes. <laughs> You have to realize that that challenge is worthwhile. And that's again, the coming, it full circle the 12 hour walk, it's the same thing. Will there be struggles out there? In hour two, hour three, when you're alone, your own thoughts and silence, probably something you've never done or haven't done very often, like there might be some things you're looping on, you know, things that you're working through in your mind. It might be, oh man, I've been avoiding this because I can just look at my phone and distract myself whenever I want. Now I'm faced with this. But I have never known a single person to not get back to their front door twelve hours later, open that door, and that same experience my wife had. Your back—that you know—that is—that is the common experience. This fulfillment, this gratitude, this pride of what you've just accomplished, i.e., this ten, because you were willing to leave your couch that day, leave that zone of com- comfortable complacency, try something different, challenging yourself. Experience maybe a few momentary lows, but that is how we have the juice, the fulfillment, those high highs in life.
1: Gosh, I love that idea. Uh, And I love, we actually talked about this before when I interviewed you the first time. And I remember you telling me that theory and me just being like, oh God, I never thought about it that way. But it's sort of like if you are living your life at a five, right? You wouldn't even know what a 10 was because a 10 is not as exciting because you're just sort of in this middle ground. And frankly, you're probably not pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone to a place where you can even have an opportunity to experience something that's so much bigger than you think that it can be. What I also love about this is like, is doing it on your own, is doing it in quiet, is doing it like, there is this thing that exists in the world now where everything that people do, they feel like they need to document, they need to put it on social media, they need to let everybody know, they need to talk about the process, which like can be really cool and can be amazing. And you and I have both done it as storytellers, like, hey, we did this thing and it helped us in these ways. But what then that becomes, if you're doing it in the moment, Is you're doing it for those other people or you're doing it for that attention or you're doing it because you need the world to grant you permission to have the right to do this thing that seems outlandish or weird. And so there's something I think really cool about the idea of doing it without talking about it. Like I had challenged myself this year. It's why I did the crazy marathon thing to do things that scared me. I I started at the very beginning of the year and I was looking I was in England with my boyfriend. I was looking out over the ocean and I was trying to think of what my resolution was going to be and it just came from I don't even know where. I didn't even know it was inside of me and I said, "I'm so tired of being afraid all the time." Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that's coming off the back of pandemic and so many of us held fear, but I just I, I'm so tired of being scared. I want to stop being such a weenie. And he was like, what? You're not a weenie? Like, you do all these brave things. And I was like, in certain areas, but there's like a whole world of stuff that I won't try and do, mostly because it's uncomfortable. So I had made a challenge to myself this year to do things that made me afraid. And I've skydive, run the marathon without training, gone zip lining, gone shark diving, um, learned to ski, like just did all of this stuff that if it pops into my head and it feels terrifying, I do it. And the lessons I have learned in this process of facing fear, it's like – I can't even explain how much – I can. You get it. But like how much bigger and how much more it like spreads out than I thought. It's almost like the difference between a spotlight and a lantern. Like you do something small and it sort of shines a spotlight on a certain area and kind of opens up your worldview. But there are certain things you do that you didn't think you could do where it's not a spotlight. It's a lantern. It lights up everything. Like it changes how you see the whole world.
0: A hundred percent. No, I mean, it is, it like, I love that. The the lantern analogy of of that's going to stick with me for sure, but no, I mean, it opens up the aperture, right? It opens up the lens uh, on what you're capable of. And I think fear is an interesting topic because it's not, you know, we think of fear of like being afraid, and for you, the edges were shark diving, which, by the way, on the bucket list, haven't done it. I got, I got to tell like, that it. That was, was really wild. cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, skydiving, whatever, in a physical way. But we both know that like fear comes in. You know, fear of failure, fear, fear of criticism. You know, and again, like the fear of being uncomfortable. You know, it comes in different ways, but it has the same effect, which is what's holding back. One question I get a lot, be, just because of the sort of life and death. Nature of some of the stuff that I've done, um, you know, in my athletic career, people ask me all the time, they say, Colin, you must be afraid of dying. Aren't you afraid of dying? You know, I lost some friends this year on an expedition, um, super sad in Pakistan, some trauma that I'm still working through and dealing with. But as I think about that question, I say to myself, and, and I mean this candidly, I say, you know. I am afraid of dying. I don't want to die. Like, I want to live a full life. I want to get to the end of my, you know, my life. I I had a beautiful visualization not too long ago of being an an old man, funny enough, um, in the same house that we were in COVID, this place in the Oregon coast is just a special place in my heart. And I was a 95 year old man. I was holding my wife's hand, Jenna's hand. And the sun was setting. And I realized in this visualization as the sun was setting, it was my last day. It was my last day. Um, and we were holding hands and I, we were both just like, wow, what a ride, what a journey. And it was, I was crying in this visualization, but it was also this beautiful moment. So I want to be that old man. I've seen that. I've seen how beautiful it is with kids and grandchildren and a full life and of adventure and loving fully and all the things. So I am afraid of dying, but what I've come to realize is what I'm more afraid of is not living, is not living. Right. Like to to your exactly what you said of oh, I wanna have that lantern effect in my life. And that's not just pushing my edges in physical ways you know, that I, you know, I guess I'm known for in the world with my 10 world records. It's easy to be myopic. Oh, well, that just means you want to just push the limits. No, I mean that. Like I want to live fully. I want to be vulnerable. I want to have my heart full with, with family and love and compassion and trust. I want to try hard things. I want to fail at things, businesses, you know, whatever that is, but I want to have the full experience of living rather than being contained in my Four, five, six comfort zone of not doing that, and so yes, 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 yes to all um, of what you're saying with 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 trying things that that's scary. Trying things that are a little bit outside the comfort zone or a lot of bit outside the comfort zone because there's just so much profound growth there.
1: You talking about the idea of trying things reminded me of a story you told me once, but. I will say this. And then if you don't want to tell the story, we will edit this part out. <laughs> um, but do you remember when we were doing that mastermind and you talked about getting to talk to Paul Simon? Yeah. What, is that a story you're allowed to share? Because I thought yeah. it was so cool. And I've tried to remember the story myself at certain times. I'm like, oh, I need to call Colin and get this. <laughs> but like, if you'll share it with all of us, then we can all benefit. Because I remember sitting at that table with everyone and being like, damn, that was a really good (laughs) piece of advice. And it just happened to come from Paul Simon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a little bit of, a little bit of context and I'm, you'll have to remind me the exact piece of advice but there's one piece of advice that comes to mind for me in that story. But basically I'm walking across Antarctica. I delete All my music, all my podcasts, because I have this theory that I'm going to actually find more flow and peace in my mind if I can not try to distract myself. But I leave five of my favorite albums, like tucked in the corner of my iPhone, like just in case of emergency, you're going crazy. You got to hear some music. And I said, um... Uh, you know, ho- hopefully many people listen to this are old enough to remember full albums, you know, not just a single Spotify playlist or a song, but a side A, a side B, like a full album. That was my criteria. It's got to be a full album. It's got to be like meaningful for my childhood. Um, I was born in 1985. Paul Simon's Graceland came out in 1986. And my parents were like obsessed with that album. Um, we had this the CD, the tape, the record. I mean, it was like, it was the, 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 of the soundtrack of my, you know, young childhood. And so I was like, Paul Simon Graceland, one of the greatest albums of all time, bringing it with me day 18 in antarctica day 18 in antarctica alone haven't listened to any music i'm like yo i'm i need i need something in my ears like it was like okay this meditative bliss this flow state that's cool but like i gotta get something so i put on the paul simon album and you have i've not heard music or sound other than wind for like you know almost three weeks at that point and it's just like the richest most people i can hear every drum track every beat like whatever and I have this little solo dance party by myself in the middle of Antarctica. It would have looked ridiculous, but I'm alone out there. And I post about it. I, I don't actually have connectivity to the internet, but I have this really kind of rudimentary sat phone that I can text some text and a low res image to Jenna. And then Jenna is posting it to my Instagram while I'm crossing. And I wrote, don't worry about me. I'm not going crazy. But I had a solo dance party to Paul Simon's Graceland down here in Antarctica. And Jenna posted it just kind of with like, I hope he's not losing his mind too much. Fast forward a couple of weeks. And I talked to Jenna on the sat phone just to have a medical check in 35 days in at this point. And just, and she says, I know, I know we said, I'm the only person you're going to talk to while you're out here. And by the way, a sat phone's not like chatting on your iPhone. It's like delayed and scratchy. And it's just enough to get a little bit of, are you okay? Are you safe? Are you eating? You know, whatever. She goes, I actually, when you hang up, I want you to call this other number. I need you to call this other number. And I'm like, uh, what? And I'm excited. I'm alone for 35 days. What are you talking about? She said, just trust me. Just call this number. She hangs up, hang up the phone. You know, it's 10 p.m. in Antarctica. I dial this random number. Phone rings, ring, ring, ring. Guy answers the phone. Hello? And I'm like, uh, hi, um, this is Colin O'Brady from, uh, from Antarctica. <laughs> like, what am I going to say? I have no idea what I'm going to say. And the guy goes, "Oh, hey, hey! I've been expecting your call. This is Paul, Paul Simon." And I'm like, I literally think to myself, "I'm hallucinating. <laughs> like, I've been alone for 35 days." Right.
1: right. <laughs> like, Antarctica wins. They're Like,
0: cool, cool. <laughs> but like, I'm just gonna, like, maybe I'm just a complete hallucinogenic trip. I'm just gonna roll with it. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I'm talking to Paul Simon in the middle of Antarctica. How you doing, bud? Like, let's let's chop it up. We end up having an incredible conversation for 30. So they are ridiculously expensive phones, like $5 a minute or something like that. But if we could stay on the phone <laughs> for like 30 minutes and we have this incredible conversation about art, about creativity, about following your heart, about following your passion. And one of the things that stuck with me, you'll have to remind me, is a specific thing that you're thinking of that I shared with you before. But he asked me, he says, Colin, how many, how many albums... Do you think that I've created? And I said, I don't know. You know, I'm a big Paul. I think of myself as a big Paul Simon fan. I'm like, okay, Graceland, Sound of the Silence, Simon, Garfunkel, Bridge, you know, just I'd name, you know, him. I'm like, I don't know. I can think of five, but I'm sure there's a couple more. Like seven. And he says to me, he's 80 years old, seven, you know, something like 80 years old, I think. He says to me, I'm going to get the numbers slightly wrong, but he's like, I've put out 21 albums, three Broadway plays. And, you know, whatever other, you know, other things that he's done. And he's like, every single thing I put out into the world, I thought was just as beautiful as Graceland. I put my heart, mm. my soul, my passion, everything into it. And he's like, you know, I've been, you know, he's acknowledged, like, no, he's like I've been very famous and legendary musician for six decades. And he goes, but like, sometimes people heard Graceland And other times the critics or the people out there heard, you know, something else that they didn't like, it didn't go viral or whatever, you know, the equivalent of that is. And he was like, but my heart is in every single one of those albums. I wouldn't change it for anything. And to me, the way I took that lesson was keep creating, keep putting your magic, keep putting your own spirit in the world. And it doesn't have for him. It's music. For me, it's, you know, I always like to say, I think we have a mass, we all have masterpieces inside of us. My canvas just happens to be the ends of the earth and mountaintops. So I don't blame you if you want to go freeze your butt off Milwaukee of by yourself, right? But that's my creative expression in the world. Or my latest creative expression is the 12 hour walk and hoping to galvanize and catalyze, you know, this, this global movement. And hopefully, a lot of people hear Graceland when they read this book, right? They hear They yeah. hear it as a masterpiece. But whatever it is, it doesn't take away from the pursuit of following your heart, of falling with passion, creating your music, creating, creating whatever that is in your own life. It doesn't have to be external, right? It doesn't have to be for fame or praise or money. Like that can be in your own life, in your own household, with your own kids, your own family, whatever that is. But it's that desire to create that symphony, to create that masterpiece, whatever that looks like for you
1: that's so good and that that was the story so well yeah. done uh, the thing that stuck with me i remember you said that day was essentially like if he hadn't kept making albums you wouldn't have ever gotten to Graceland right you wouldn't have ever gotten these you know we sort of again it's like the highest highs right that we think that everybody sees all the parts the highest highs and the lowest lows but the reality is if you're putting stuff out into the world, what the public will most remember is the successes. But if you didn't keep going and if you didn't keep creating and if you didn't keep trying new stuff, whether it worked or it didn't, you wouldn't get to something else great, which is really interesting. I think you and I both have versions of this where we've had really massive success in really specific areas. And I think Two things happen. One is that the people around you, your team, your publisher, your, you know, whatever that looks like for you, are like, do it again.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do the exact same
1: thing, have the exact same success in the exact same way, because we really like that. (laughs) And then it starts to convince you that you need to also chase that level of success, which fully removes us from the state we were in when we created that thing in the first place.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh my God. I I, I feel like th- this could open up you know, a five hour podcast because I'm so passionate <laughs> about this topic. Uh, we, we won't put the listeners through that, but I mean, I'm just nodding my head and smiling so much. One thing that I, I, I didn't know this when I met you, but I've learned this about you and we've talked about this and I love this about you is, you know, girl, wash your face, you know, Unicorn success. I mean, and, and rightfully so. I mean, there is so much wisdom and so much magic, and it's structured perfectly. And it the conversation and the tone, the way you write, I mean, it's just a it's a masterpiece, it's beautiful. But I also know that you wrote four or five books before that. And I right. love these stories of you telling me, like, you're like, Yeah, I was like, I wrote this book, and I'm like knocking on the door of this librarian to see if like one person <laughs> would let yes. me like do a reading. Like, yes. like. Like that, like, yes, like, of course, like, of course, like, and that to me, it's like, that's beautiful. And that's, that's the journey. And, and that is why we all in this world also get to experience grow off your face because you were willing to put the reps in, right? You were willing right. to try and try again and iterate and learn and listen to your audience and shift and evolve and grow as a human being. And that's, yeah. and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, that's a really beautiful thing. It's those trials and tribulations, but the perseverance and the grit that you showed that yeah. your gift to the human race, in my opinion, at scale, what way to reach us is because in those quiet moments was no one was looking you were knocking on that librarian's door and you wrote the second book and you wrote the third book and you wrote the four, you know, right. Yeah. But also I do think there is this paradox, which you said is what does success then do to you internally, to the echo of the people that you're surrounding yourself with, the reverberation of that, and the like, do it again, right? It's the classic, you are you are by no means a one-hit wonder. You have many, many hits and many successes and tons of successes in your future. I have no doubt about that as well. I continue to, to, to have hit singles, so to speak. But when you create that art, whatever that is, right, You create before the success, you create it from this place of pure joy and creativity. For me, I, you know, I sit here humbly with 10 world records and the Antarctica crossing was a massive success. And I've had others and big, you know, big, you know, press and media and news and all the things that you've experienced in different ways. And and I'm proud. I'm humbled by that. But one thing Jenna, my wife has always asked me before any one of my big projects before anything we do in the public eye, anything like this, and I love this. I love this question. It's been great grounding for me. She goes, "If you could tell nobody about it, would you still do it?" And, and again, we've we've talked a lot about Antarctica, Ooh, so I'll leave it good.
1: on. Yes, she says, Jenna. "She says to me,
0: right? Like I'm, I just, like, so I'm getting, I just, I just did this New York Times interview mm-hmm. right before I get dropped off in Antarctica." And actually, the weight of that actually kind of screwed me up in those first couple of days. Because, like, I told everyone I don't want to fail because I, all of a sudden I got pulled into that. But she says to me, she's like, would you still be going out there? And one of the reasons she asked me that is a, is a part of heart and soul. And it's also because some of the things I do, like I said, do implicitly have some life and death risks, like some real stakes to them. But it's more about heart. Would you do this if you could tell nobody about it? And every single one of my 10 world records and the big projects that I've done, as well as the things I've failed at, by the way, that there's 10 successes and there's another 100 plus failures, which I write about in the book. This book is me being vulnerable. This book is actually me showing you all the limiting beliefs. This, this is not a highlight reel of Colin O'Brady's life. This is the opposite. This is the background of like, oh, this didn't work. This is how we built our business, et cetera. But every single one of the things that I've done, I have answered that question to Jenna. Yes. I want to walk across anorta because I'm actually curious how that is going to impact me as a human being, as a father, future father, as a as a as a as a husband, as a parent, you know, all the things. That's why I'm curious about it. You and I both are passionate storytellers. So we love the ability for our life experiences to have this ripple effect of positivity and impact throughout the world. And so I do, I, I say, share this, share your story. Everyone has a story. And I think that that's valuable in your community, at scale, on a podcast, whatever that is. But at its core, would you do this if no one was watching? And I I mean, I haven't asked Paul Simon that question. Uh, we stay in touch. So I mean, maybe it's a, it's a good full loop. It's a good thought starter for me. I have a feeling hit the whole story behind Graceland is this crazy story. I won't get into it. But basically, he went to South Africa during apartheid and, re- and recorded all of this tribal drumming and vocals. And that's why that album is as incredible as is it's just this music and the sounds that no one had kind of dis- you know, discovered in the Western world up until that point. And then he put his music over time. It's just an incredible masterpiece. Him telling me about Graceland when he talked about writing it it was a journey, it was an adventure. He was so curious about music and sound that spending the time in these tribes in South Africa was so uplifting to him. So I have a feeling if I asked him this question in that moment that the Paul Simon of 1980, whatever, when he's building this album, would you do this if no one could hear this music? His answer was yes. He was just in it. He was in his art and his creativity and great. It blew up and the world loves it. And everyone's heard the song, Grace and whatever, but like, it's great. Because it came from this authentic, heartful place of curiosity and love and joy. And that's why the rest of the world gets to enjoy it, because it was created from this place. It wasn't created from the record company going, go travel around the world and find me sounds to make it good to have a hit so we can sell lots of albums. Right.
1: Well, I have to ask now, because you said this earlier, and I feel like, you know, as we sort of get Toward the end of our conversation, I want to make sure we touch on you said something about money. And I'm like, how on earth does the 12 hour walk relate to finance, to scarcity, to abundance, to all of it?
0: Yes, great question. Great question. So I uh, you know, you and I both have have wonderful communities, Instagram and you know, social media and all the stuff that that we can ask questions to right? That that I feel like I have an ongoing dialogue with, an ongoing relationship with. Um, and, and I think you're one of the true, true masters of that dialogue um, with, with all the people in your incredible community. I got the idea for the 12-hour walk. I took the 12-hour walk itself, the exercise, asked from friends and family to do it. People loved it. And I'm like, I'm starting to write a book about it. I'm passionate about putting these words and these ideas on a page. And so I realized that this was unlocking this key to what I, you know, for lack of a better word, your best life. of just been like setting you on a path to optimizing your life, whatever that looks like. And I think success, best life can be defined anyways, making a million dollars, saving a million lives, impacting your community, love, relationship. There's no right answer to that for any individual person. But I said, I put it out to a lot of people, Instagram, whatever. What's standing in the way of you living your best life? And like I said, I got 10 really common responses which is basically the premise of this book, these 10 limiting beliefs. But the number one response, which was probably over 50% of the responses were, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough money. And again, we'll fill out the full sentence. It's basically, I am not living my best life because I don't have enough money. Or the implication being, if I got knocked over the head with a bunch of cash, I would suddenly be living my best life. Which I think you and I both know to not actually be the case,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? But if but, you haven't ever experienced that, you're like, oh, I'd like to give it a try for sure,
0: for see. sure. And 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 I and I'm all about that. So I was like, okay, if everyone's asking this question. Like, let's freaking talk about it. Like, cause this is important. And by the way, for those that don't know my story, I write about this in the book, but I grew up very poor. I did not have a lot of resources in my life. When I dreamed up my first world record project, you know, it was literally Jen and I penciled. I was like, gonna cost half a million dollars. And we had like a few thousand dollars in the bank account and was like, cool. Like that's where most ideas die. That's like, great. I'd live my best life and climb Everest and go to the North and South Pole if I got hit over the head with a half a million dollars. (laughs) But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And here, and and I will definitely connect to the walk. It's not just some random tangent. But, oh, by the way, you want to talk about money? This book's about walking. Let's talk about money. No. Two things. One is I have found that many of my most valuable experiences in my life actually don't cost money. They don't cost money. You know, it doesn't cost any money to fall in love. It doesn't cost any money to be in amazing community. Generally speaking, it doesn't like, there's a lot of things that don't cost money, but we're going to talk about actually how you make money in a second here. But the 12 hour walk is an invitation thing. You aren't doing interesting things. You now, if you're not taking that exotic vacation to your friend was in some, no, you saw on like as Instagram, someone in Borneo with like this, like hut across the ocean. And like, that's their best life. What I don't have anything interesting to talk about it. My family dinner, my this, I'm like, Okay. Here's something that's free. Put your shoes on, walk outside your door for 12 hours in silence, go inside. And then when you're at dinner on Saturday and everyone's talking about their vacation (laughs) and this, what'd you do last week? Well, actually walked alone in silence. I promise you, because I've watched this happen over and over again, that is a conversation stopper. People are like, wait, you did what? Tell me more about that. That will spark a more interesting conversation with more depth in your community and your family and your tribe. Then, oh yeah, check out this Instagram of me of this beach in Majorca, like dancing with whatever. I'm not saying don't go dance. We're gonna talk about how you're gonna get on that beach as well. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing. That is one way the, the the walk connects. But the other way, the other way is this time alone is a great, as we talked about before, a way for you to evaluate and have a mirror held up to yourself, right? Of what is holding you back. And I have lived a lot of my life in that scarcity mindset. As I, as I said, I, I grew up being told, I opened this chapter in the book, I'll, I'll share the story, is I open this chapter of this book and I, and this is from my life, obviously all the stories from my life, I'm in the toilet seat stall of my middle school and I'm standing on top of the toilet seat so no one can see my feet. And I've just stolen a bottle of whiteout from my teacher's drawer. And I'm painting the white canvas, you know, Jack Purcell's, like the white, like canvas, like like, like Converse All-Stars, like kind of like oh, Converse, okay, yeah. like white. They've got like a, if you saw a picture, you're like, oh, of course, like an iconic, like Converse sneaker. When I was a kid, for whatever reason, my neighborhood, that was like the cool sneaker to have. And I said to my mom, I need a pair of Jack Purcell's at the beginning of the year because my middle school crush just before that had said like, you have grass stains on your sneakers. Like, don't you know that like Jack Purcells are only cool if they stay white, they're white. I'm like a, I love to run around. Like I was very physical in my body, like, you know, 13 year old boy at this moment in time. But then this girl like just shames me. She's just like, like your shoes, like, and we know like middle school, like middle school. I mean, it's, 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 it is, (laughs) we all know just uh, middle school. But my mom at the beginning of that year, I begged her to get me these shoes. remember that we found them on sale for $32.99 at Payless Shoe Stores. And she says to me, she's like, look, Colin, you know, these are your shoes for the year. We don't have enough money for you to get shoes until next year when your feet grow in the next size. And that, that was just the way my childhood was. And that's respectful. My parents worked hard, taught me a lot. But then, like, the shame of, like, this girl being like, hey, like... And so I I live with inside of me, the little boy that lives inside of me is this voice of like scarcity of like, you you don't have enough. Like you're not going to have the other pair of shoes. You're not going to like this. And so that for sure has been a loop for me. But fast forward to Jenna and I and our first big world record project, dreaming this thing up. We're on a mountaintop. We had just gotten engaged 2014 We just gotten engaged. We're standing on this mountaintop and I I love saying this phrase, I call it a possible mindset, something my mother instilled in me, something I believe in, I define that talk about it throughout the book, which is an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. And the walk, you know, I say it really delivers that possible mindset, that shift from limiting beliefs to possible mindset, but in the context of money, Jen and I were engaged, we're on this mountaintop. What do we want to do? How do we want to be remembered? What do we want our legacy? To be like, I've dreamed of climbing Mount Everest my whole life. I want to do this project, this thing called the Explorer's Grand Slam. North Pole, South Pole, Everest, faster than anyone's ever done it. All the top, tallest mountains, these are seven continents. And we, we do the math. It's going to cost $500,000. And we get back after our engagement trip, you know, high, high, naive, young couple. We're engaged. We're going to take on the world, whatever. We get back to our one-bedroom apartment. And, like, it just seems ridiculous. It seems ridiculous. And like, this is the moment where most ideas die, particularly ones around money, but all sorts of other limiting beliefs. We're talking about money, which we look at each other and we're like, so we have, you know, a life savings. If we scrapped everything together, we have $10,000 between us. If we sold everything and have everything, whatever. And the thing we're dreaming about doing costs half a million dollars. Like that is a far distance <laughs> from each other. Like, right. That's right. where you just go like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm never going to be able to do this. But here's where we talk about scarcity and abundance which is the scarcity mindset says, well, you have $10,000. You're never going to have half a million dollars. That's it. Make peace with it. That's it. Like that's the way your life's going to go. But the abundance mindset, the walk teaches this, the in, the insights you have, and the book teaches this, which is to say the abundance mindset goes, okay, I don't have that right now. Let's be honest. I do not have half a million dollars right now, or whatever that number is, the thing that you're dreaming to do. But what do I have? It starts looking at opportunities and going, okay, but what do I have? What assets do I have? And us in that moment, the assets were not vast. It was, it was $10,000. was okay. We have Google. We have the internet. We have different ideas. We have different networks. We have, have, have different people to ask. And I know you and I have talked about this before, so I won't go too in-depth about it. But it's that idea to say, what do I have in this moment? And I, can I have more in the future? Can I knock on one more door? Can I send one more email? Can I have the universe conspire to help me? I mean, call it the law of attraction, call it the universe, whatever. But when you start putting your passion to your goal, it was ridiculous. I was in my late 20s with $10,000, but I started telling every single person I knew, hey, next year, I'm going to go do this project. How much money does that cost? Half a million dollars. Where are you going to come up with it? I don't know, but I'm gonna keep asking (laughs) people. I'm gonna keep asking people. And I won't spoil the whole story. I talk about it in the book. But the fact of the matter is, whatever that dollar figure is that you think is holding you back, that there's two lessons. I'll say them concisely. One is most, I'll say it again: most of the most important stuff in life actually does not cost very much money. So the true essence of life. However, however. There's this archetype of climber bum living in his van outside of this, this, which a lot of people look at me and they overlay that archetype and nothing to knock. I've been the dirtbag climber outdoor guy a lot of my life. I've also had a lot of financial success at this point in my life. Um, I have. And it's great and I'm proud of it. I'm proud of, you know, the kid who had to paint his, you know, white jack Purcells you know, with white out to now the place where I have abundance in my life. And I have freedom and I have a beautiful home and I have, you know, all the things I wanted, you know, in the material sense. But I got there and we can all get there by shifting from that scarcity mindset. That scarcity mindset holds us in this static place. This place of, well, that's not for me. I can never have it." Now, Important caveat, this is not a silver bullet. This is not like a get rich quick scheme overnight. It could happen a lot faster than you might think it happens. But it's not just like, hey, well, read my chapter on abundance and you're going to be rich tomorrow because the juice in there and the juice that the walk teaches you is the grit, the perseverance, the ability to take one more step. The abundance mindset is a mindset. But the actualization of that is by having the abundance mindset today, tomorrow, a week from now, a month from now, while you continue to chip away and take action for towards your goals. And so I have a very simple, you know, four steps in the book. And again, get the book, pick it up. You'll learn about this in the book more directly. But it is how to a shift from that mindset. And then take that mindset in a tangible way throughout your life until the universe, your community, the world conspires to help you reach your financial goals and unlock that part of your life. I fundamentally believe we all have the capacity to do that. It takes different routes and and different routes. There's different goals. There are different numbers. But the difference between scarcity and abundance is vast. I I mean, I know you're passionate about this. I want to hear your perspective
1: yeah no I, the the thing that you said that I feel like is is really important to add to is the belief that it's possible is enough to make you try something else is enough to make you exactly like you said, go, okay, but what do I have? because if you start from where you are right now and you're like, well, I don't have half a million dollars, well, I don't know how to get a book deal. Well, I don't fill in the blank it stops you cold. But if you just sit and like, okay, but what can I do? We do this a lot at conference where I'll be talking one-on-one with a woman in the audience who has a dream that she wants to pursue. And we're like, okay, what are you gonna do? How can you pursue this? And she can maybe think of one or two ideas and then she stalls out because it just feels so big. And so like whatever anyone who's listening, whether it's climbing Everest, starting a business, starting a family, it doesn't matter what it is. All of our big dreams feel like our Everest. Mm -hmm. So the woman in the audience will inevitably run out very quickly of ways that she can pursue this. And I'm like, guys, watch. This is the coolest thing that's about to happen. Open it up to the whole arena. 8,000 people or 100 people or 50 people. I'm like, throw ideas at her. And the ideas start coming so fast. And I'm like writing them on a board as we go. And I call it an idea soup, where you'll just like put everything in the soup, everything. There are no bad ideas here, no bad ideas in a brainstorm, get it in the pot. And we can, as a community, come up with incredible ideas. And you watch the woman's face and her eyes are getting bigger and bigger because the ideas aren't outlandish. She's hearing them going, oh, wait, I could do that. Oh, yeah, I have a cousin who knows someone in the publishing industry. And she starts to connect these dots. But if you don't believe the possibility is there, you don't even allow yourself to think of what you can do. I had this post-it on my computer forever that just said, what can you do? What can you do? Not, yes. no, not who do I know? What, no, no. What can you do today? And I love the idea so much of what you do when it comes to the physical side of these challenges is about just taking the next step, not so, how do I get across the finish line? How do I just take another step right now?
0: A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, and, and I frame this question. That's my favorite question to ask, which is, you know, what's your efforts? You know, what's your evers for me? Because obviously, it's just through that lens. You know, for me, it's just this obvious metaphor what's your big goal, your hope, your dream? And two things. One is I have a nonprofit. I've had over a million students at this point enrolled in my programs through my nonprofit that's all around, you know, inspiring kids to dream big, set goals, you know, live happy and healthy lives and obviously COVID shut down the in-person nature of this to some extent over the last couple of years. But I spent a lot of time in gymnasiums, um, at student you know, assemblies, 500 elementary school kids in a gymnasium uh, sharing stories, et cetera. And so it was a big passion of mine. And I asked this question and I tell them some stories to light up their mind. And I said, great. So what's your efforts? And what's amazing is that in a gymnasium of 500 kids, I get 500 hands raised. I get all like almost every single time, every single hand is raised. This is elementary school kids, third grade, fourth grade, you know, nine, 10 years old. Calling my Mount Everest to be the first person in my family to graduate from college, or, you know, my Mount Everest is to make sure the snow leopards are off the endangered species list, you know, whatever. I've been mean, heard like thousands of responses to this. And I start doing high school assemblies. I ask the same question, you know, what's your Everest? Maybe I get half the hands We're hundred hands out of 500 college kids 50 out of 50 out of 500 I do a lot of corporate speaking you know the big corporations you know of the world I asked this question to you know 500 people at a, an insurance company or a bank or something like that I am lucky to get two hands raised wow. in like the back of the room I'm like wow like what is happening here I talked about this before this possible mindset this mindset this empowered mindset that believes in the limitless possibilities through the book the 12-hour walk, what I realize is that we are born with possible mindsets. We actually come into the world wondering, what can I do? To your point, what can I do? How can I get there? What can I do? But unfortunately, society at large, and I know you and I are fighting back against this and trying to inspire communities to believe differently, society at large is teaching us that we can't. And so again, right. anecdotally, over time, the 500 hands turn to 100 hands, turn to 50 hands, it turn to 200 hands as we age, as we get older, as we lose our possible mindset. So when I say I'm instilling a possible mindset in people, it's not something that I am teaching you that's new. I'm actually teaching you something that you were born with, that is in your DNA, that is in your spirit. This exists yes. already for you, already, and. I love the, the, the visualization. That's so powerful. I can picture it you with the the room full of incredible women and, and all of them lighting up with all ideas to help someone achieve their dream. I, I, the first time I summited Everest in 2016, um, and just, just a quick shout out. I did go back in last year and I summited Everest with my wife. I stood on top of Mount Everest with my wife, which was the most oh, amazing. Oh, she
1: did get to the top. I'm you so to glad. The I know that the was whole, a big goal You got
0: to read the story of the book because it's insane oh, what will. she overcame. Oh, um, and will. uh great. And forget my 10 world records. That wasn't a world record, but standing on the top of the summit of Mount Everest with my incredible wife, who is, by the way, for those listening, is not a natural climber, is not someone who thinks of herself, that was just, that was so just, hard.
1: Like years ago, I remember her starting yes, that project. Totally. Oh, that's great.
0: And she gave up on it. She gave up. that it. it's a whole, there's a whole arc of the thing. So there's a lot of, of, of that. So that's a, just, that's a side point. But in 2016, I got to the summit of Everest, which was my childhood dream. And then on the very summit, I see there's a bunch of rocks. I mean, it's ice and rocks and whatever. It's summit of Mount Everest, a big mountain. And I pick up this tiny pebble off the ground. I put it in my pocket and I've carried it with me most days ever since. Very important thing to me. Because what I realized at the summit of Mount Everest is the biggest mountain in the world, the biggest goal for me, that was my goal, my Everest, and everyone has their own Everest, is it's bunch of just a bunch of small rocks stacked on top of each other. A million steps leading to the so summit, good. right? And so I literally, I carried this rock around my pocket I have for years now as just that reminder of that moment where that woman is standing there at your conference and you're like, what is your dream? And she's effectively answering that question. What is your Everest? My Everest is to start this business, but she's got two ideas that peter out. It's like, no, there are millions of these tiny little rocks that you can, if you keep stacking them one by one by one, they lead to the summit. But it's about all of the things I've done. I talked about the Drake do not even know how to row a boat, but starting business, finding ultimately finding financial success in my life, you know, starting a family, all these different things. I started all these goals and all these Everest, having no idea how I was gonna get there, having no. I got dropped off in Antarctica by myself, and I called my wife three hours in, crying, because I was like, I don't even know if I can get till tomorrow. She's like, just one more day, just chip away at it. And that is how you realize your dreams. And that's that abundance mindset in the context of money. But abundance mindset taken more broadly is the abundance of possibilities, the abundance of what exists in our life, of what we can achieve, of what we can dream. If you can dream it, as Walt Disney says, you can do it, right? Like you can can create that. You can be there. But if you let that limiting belief voice come back in, if you let that scarcity mindset come back, well, I'm out of ideas. That's it. And that's where you'll end. And then that's where that story ends. But if you keep stacking those rocks one by one, pebble by pebble by pebble, there is a literal tiny pebble that lives on the summit of Mount Everest and it got there somehow because there's a million little pebbles below that that stacked to get there.
1: Oh, my gosh. Colin, this was such an incredible conversation. Like, I'm pumped up. I'm so glad I got to talk to you today. So I know the listeners are going to really be grateful for- Are you going to do the 12-hour walk? I mean, now I feel like I have to. Uh, Now I feel like I have to. Oh, my God. Maybe not on September 10th. Maybe I'll just quietly go do it and then send you a picture. Perfect. Um, Perfect. But for everybody who has listened to this conversation, who wants to grab the book, who wants to follow you on social like tell them all the things
0: yeah so the book it's called the 12 hour walk please pick up a copy it would mean the world to me i poured my heart and soul in these pages i know there's stories that are going to uplift you inspire you you and your community um and take more than anything come take the 12 hour walk 12 hourwalkcom sign up for free put your name in if you're looking for accountability get your friend your sister your best friend put it on your calendar the same day you know what you both walk out your front doors separately but you call each other, you meet up for dinner, and you integrate that experience together. If you're looking for community at scale, September 10th, we're a massive group of people all around the world, tons of different countries just signed up to do it. We'll be doing some fun events in and around that. Again, solo out your front door, in your own city, whatever that is, but with the accountability of community. But the 12hourwalk.com is where all the information is about the walk. Please pick up the book um, and uh, I think you'll enjoy the stories. Like I said, a little tease of me and my wife tackling big goals. Uh, some people have said that that both of my books and particularly this one are really just a love story to my wife. And I think that's the greatest compliment uh, of all because she is my rock, my heart, my soul. Um, and um, But take the walk invest that day. You won't be sorry. Rachel's doing it too. She, I know she's not her head. She got quietly do it. Um, and uh, if you want to follow me on social, I'm at Colin O'Brady. Um, also the at 12 hour walk Instagram is is starting to kick up now that we've got, you know, experiences of other people, people sharing their own stories of the walk, but, um, I really, I'm passionate about this. It's meant to be free and accessible as a way, as my gift, as a tapestry to the world for people to have this experience that I hopefully has a ripple effect. My Everest, I have answered this question for myself. I'll Clue with this. My next Everest is not to climb Everest again. It is not to walk across Antarctica again. My next Everest is to inspire 10 million people to take the 12-hour walk. Why? Because I think a world where more people are equipped with the possible mindset is the world that I want to live in. Because the ripple effect with ourselves, with our community, with the people that we impact people living in their truths again of the truth that they were born with not a new truth but this possible mindset that has lived inside of you since the day you were born that is a world full of infinite possibilities that i want to be a part of
1: ah thank you so much brother this has been such (laughs) a gift and i know that everyone's really going to appreciate it the rachel hollis podcast is produced by me rachel hollis It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.